Hello everyone and welcome back to Footprints. We're back on dry land this month and exploring the art of meadow creation. But before we dig into that, see what I did there? I want to remind you that Bathscape's wonderful annual walking festival is happening this year between the 10th and the 25th of September. The programme of walks is out for you to see and between now and our next episode, early in September, I'll be hunting down organiser Lucy Bartlett to get you all the lowdown. But in the meantime, do have a look and sign up for walks. It's all on the website www.bathscape.co.uk Now, where was I? Oh yes, I'm walking uphill and down dale today, showing you how easy and quick it is to get out of the city into the heart of the beautiful Bath landscape. Join me as I hike to the top of Lincoln Hill and then meander over to Smallcombe Vale, meeting people who are responsible for the amazing meadows that we've seen this year. And in between, we'll have an expert view of meadow creation here in Bath from Parks Department, Paul Pierce. It's a beautiful sunny day here in the centre of Bath. I've just got off the bus, the park and ride. And I'm heading off up to Lincoln Hill to meet with Anita and Chris, who are two directors of the Friends of Lincoln Hill Fields. And they're going to tell me all about the meadows they've been creating for the past couple of years. Let's go. What a fabulous day. I've just walked for 15 minutes up a lot of steps to get up here to Lincoln Hill Fields. It was a little bit of an effort getting up those steps, but the view over the city centre was worth every bit of it. And now I can see and hear buzzards above the valley. Quite a few of them, actually. It's a beautiful sunny day. And this field is absolutely full of grasses, butterflies, bindweed, of course, blackberries, beautiful, big, plump blackberries, which I'm going to pick. Oh, yum. For those of you who don't know where I am, I'm near Beach and Cliff School, near Alexandra Park, none of which I can see. And I'm looking over to Smallcombe Vale where I'm going to go this afternoon. It's one of the uh, unsung beauties of Bath. In fact, you can see our mission there. We call it our wild hilltop paradise. That's our vision. We believe in the two years we've been going so far, we've really gone a long way to achieving that objective. Well, it really is a wild hilltop paradise. Only 15, 20 minutes walk up from the city centre and I've never been here before. And what's your role, Chris? I'm one of the three directors with Anita and Morris. And um, Morris and I are the founders who first identified the opportunity when the council uh, terminated the previous grazing lease for really just four or five horses. It's amazing. Anita, what's your role? Well, I was asked to join Morris and Chris shortly after they'd done all the very hard work. So we all have complementary skills and I think probably I do a little bit mini marketing. I'm in charge of the uh, bulletin and keeping in touch with volunteers and so on. 
what we're interested in is a wildflower meadow. And of course, we've got this great idea of sort of whispering grasses and coloured flowers in it. We're identifying ancient areas and trying to replicate what the farmers were doing to expose the soil for wildflowers to flourish. It sounds like a fabulous thing to be getting involved in. Anita, what did you do before you got involved in this? What's What's been your life work? Well, I was a leadership trainer. I specialise in conflict management and now I still do executive coaching. Wow, so this is very different. It is. Chris, what was your life's work? I'm a mechanical engineer by background. I worked all my career in railways, which was a vocation, trying to transform railways. My last corporate job was managing director of First Great Western. But since then, I've done a variety of different things. So I've lived here for 20 years, got to know these fields during the horse grazing era, but recognised that this could be a truly transformational opportunity and to really show an example of how volunteers well-organised, well-committed, with sufficient funding, but with a huge input of volunteer commitment, can transform an underutilised council asset. Now, Natasha, you're a brand new volunteer to this. Tell me what you're doing here. So we've mostly been doing some weeding. Um, we've also been doing some mowing till the mower broke, unfortunately. Uh, it's good old manual labour. I'm here because I get some volunteering time with work. and I live just around the corner and I heard about this through a councillor newsletter and uh, it had to be in work hours. So here I am on a Wednesday morning getting stung with nettles, but also getting some, some fresh air. So, yeah, nice to be here. And Kate, you've been doing this for a long time. You're one of the the trusty volunteers. You're a task leader, is that right? What does that mean? It means I get told to look after a group of people if the site leaders are perhaps doing something else somewhere else. And how long have you been doing this? I think almost from the beginning, which was 2020. So I started then and I've always walked through these fields with my dog and thought, wouldn't it be great if it could be taken over by the community and, and, you know, turned into more of a nature reserve. And and lo and behold, it happened. So I was sort of very keen to join and volunteer. Oh, look, that's a beautiful view of a bath, isn't it? Where are we now, Chris? Right, we're coming into what was the original farmyard of Lincoln Hill Farm, which was just one of the farms on this, this hilltop. And we're standing in front of a, what we believe is a very old barn, may even at one time have been where the, uh, the tenant farmers lived. Although by the Victorian era, we believe they've moved into a house just next door in Greenway Lane. And there would have been a range of buildings here, stone and wood. It was a dairy farm. And we're going into one of the, uh, one of the fields now, which we call our East Field. And you'll see how there's areas that we've done absolutely nothing to and we've left as a complete wilderness here on the right. And then we're going to see an area which we mowed last year. And then we're going to see an area which we've mowed this year. And you'll see how the evolution is occurring. We've just passed the most magnificent teasel. Mm-hmm. And... You think it's burdock? Burdock. Look at that. That's just enormous. We, we do have these ancient hedges, as, as we pointed out on the map, and some of them have really mature trees, like the maple along there, and, of course, we also have ash trees that, that we're keeping an eye on. This is our east field. We're looking in a generally easterly direction, but all the way up the Avon Valley. You can see, you know, wonderful views. Salisbury Hill up there. But in terms of what we've done and what we haven't done here, 
as Anita said, we're leaving the, 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 the boundaries of the hedgerows where you can see particularly tall um, flowering plants and shrubs are growing. You can see ragwort and these teasels have done particularly well this year in the burdock we mentioned. On the other side of this path here though, this is an area that we've left entirely out of wilderness and you can see there's some colour in it and again some of the same ragwort and teasels and so on. But a lot of it just goes to, uh, to nettles and brambles and hedgegrimini, which is quite pretty when it's flowering, but really means the other smaller wildflowers don't get any chance to, to prosper. This is an area which we cut most recently, just before we had the problem with the mower two weeks ago. So this area has been cut this year. The bit beyond, which we might walk towards, we cut last year. And you can see in one year how it grows up. And the whole point is you let it grow until about June, July, even early August to give the wildflowers that are there the chance to propagate their seeds and then the seed heads to dry and the seeds to drop to the ground. And if you mow it then, you give the best chance for those seeds to, to germinate in the coming, coming season. It's not the most colourful time. The small flowers are generally finished by now. A lot of them, of course, are the best in the spring anyway. So really we're now coming to the height of the mowing season. And uh, over the next four weeks or so, we'll be working very hard to complete the principal mowing, but then we'll follow it up for those areas that need it with a secondary mowing in the autumn. Having mowed with what we call a side mower that can mow very long grass, even six feet high, then you have to rake it out of the way, ideally with a team of eight or more people, all giving up two hours of their time week after week after week. I bet they enjoy it though, don't they? <laughs> they do. Now, so what you're saying is... You can't just cut the grass and let it lie and rot back into the ground because you don't want nourishment to go back into the ground because the wildflowers prefer a more barren soil. Is Indeed. that right? Have I said that right? Absolutely. They, they thrive on unproductive land, po impoverished land. Yep. Like all the poppies out in France. That's why there's so many poppies on those fields. Gosh, yeah. yes. How has it been for you to, to get to this point where you're letting bits of land just rewild? Well, of course, this is very much a, a national and international uh, change of mindset, isn't it? That this is good for the environment, it's good for the climate, it, and it's, and it's good for mental health, it's good for so many things. But we're very happy to share experience and, of course, to learn. And we're doing that all the time, both in terms of the meadows management and about the, the, the wider ecosystem, the, the birds, the bees, the butterflies and everything else that thrives in this lovely area. That's it, though, isn't it? When you see the butterflies and the insects humming and the buzzards above, you, you realise you're, you're getting the balance back. But how lucky we are to have you know a 10-acre site that really has been you know, unchanged. And in fact, half of this 100-acre hilltop, apart from the uh, our 10 acres, we're immediately adjacent to Alexandra Park and the beautiful views down, of course, into the city and uh, even Beach and Cliff School that has footpaths across it. So we're part of a network of footpaths. I can walk out of my front door and you can walk as far as you want up onto the Bath skyline or through the two tunnels cycleway into the south. You can just walk or cycle as far as you want. And Bathscape and its, its promotion of footpaths, you know, we're very much involved with that as well. I'm going to go on a scramble. Chris and Anita are going to take me to the what they call the tiny forest, and I want to hear all about that. Oh, yeah. 
Well, a tiny forest is something that a Japanese botanist looked at first of all and basically it's the planting of saplings very closely together as you can see what it does it enables the trees to grow much faster because they're all competing for light and air the important thing about tiny forests are also is they're a carbon sink and we really need to tend them only for three years and then there's no forest management required and here we planted 600 different native saplings. So, so tell me what we're looking at now, what sort of trees? I can see hazel. Yeah, an oak and cherry, wild cherry and beech and many others. Oh, rowan. I can see rowan. Rowan. It's glorious, oh. isn't it? Yep. And these trees have been growing now, as we said, we planted them about 18 months ago. And the tallest ones are five, five feet high already. Mm-hmm. We've only had a failure rate of 3%, which is staggeringly good. We've done a little bit of watering. We've got a rainwater harvesting arrangement, so we can water. And as you know, it's been a very dry six months in, for, for, the, for Britain. It's a magnificent feat, isn't it? It is. Well, thank you both so much for a fabulous morning. It's been absolutely incredible to walk up here from the city centre and be in such a beautiful place. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our pleasure. It's been thrilling to share (laughs) our wild hilltop paradise with you. I'm just making my way over to Smallcombe Vale, down Greenway Lane and then down Rosemont Lane. And I've just reached the top of Lincoln Hill, which would have been a more gentle way up to Lincoln Hill Fields if you didn't want to take all those steps. But there's something quite amazing about walking steeply uphill and getting that fabulous vista over Bath quite quickly. I'm just rounding the corner of St Thomas's Church now. I'm going to look for a bench to sit and have a rest. And there is one, just up there. Oh, what a lovely spot in the churchyard of St Thomas's. I'm going to sit here and have my lunch now. And while I do that, let's hear from Paul Pierce from the Parks Department about what they do to create meadows for us all in the city of Bath. And after that, I'll meet with Dan and we'll go over to Smallcombe Vale and see what they're doing there. The Parks Department manages about 360 hectares of parks and open spaces And on top of that, woodlands, allotments, road verges, play areas. So we've got lots of grass to cut across that uh, landscape. And for about the past five or six years, we've been looking at how we can improve biodiversity. And one of the ways that we can do that is uh, reduce the frequency of, of, of grass cutting. So we've been particularly looking for opportunities to create meadows in that grassland because Meadows are great for biodiversity and um, all those flowers are great in the landscape, but it's quite difficult. It's quite a difficult process and we've tried lots of different techniques 
to create meadows. The way that we manage our parks and open spaces has changed a lot, really, in recent years. When I started seven, eight years ago, most of our parks and open spaces were very formal and we cut the grass very, very regularly. And that was what people expected. Since then, we've introduced meadows, we've introduced long grass areas, we've planted more trees. And initially it was very unpopular. So we got an awful lot of complaints about the long grass looking untidy. And then slowly over time, we started to get people celebrating the long grass. And then we got to a point maybe two years ago where we were getting as many complaints as we were getting inquiries from people asking us for more long grass, for more meadows. And yeah, it really feels like public perception has changed. So about 25% of our grass now is now cut uh, less than uh, less than twice a year. So it could be once a year, twice a year. So we'll identify locations where we can reduce the frequency of grass cutting. We avoid areas where kids want to play football or have a picnic. We've seeded areas with wildflower seed. In some areas, we've taken the turf off and we've seeded into that. We've tried wildflower plugs. We've tried wildflower lawn. We've tried all sorts of different techniques. The problem with creating meadows is grass. So if you have a rich soil, you will get lots of dominant grasses that will grow very vigorously and they tend to outcompete most wildflower species. So most of our sites are very fertile and have very rich soil. So if you stop cutting the grass, you'll end up with lots of long grass. Now, long grass is good for wildlife. It's better than short grass. So you'll have lots of things that will live in long grass, lots of bugs, spiders, grasshoppers, reptiles and amphibians, small mammals, and even some birds. But if you want to get flowers into that sward, you really have to try and either reduce the soil fertility or open up the sward so that the wildflowers can get established. And you then need to cut it and you need to take away the cuttings. So a traditional hay meadow would have seen the farmer come and collect the hay in about July and August every year, take it away, feed it to his animals. And then year after year, that would reduce the soil fertility. So that's how we manage the meadows that we do have. We leave the areas uncut from about the end of March through to the end of July, August. And we then have to come along with a big piece of machinery, cut and collect all the grass, take away the arisings, and then we keep the grass cut short over the winter. The other thing that you can do is introduce a yellow rattle. So yellow rattle is actually a really cool plant. It's a parasite. It's a green plant, it, it photosynthesizes, but it will also parasitize grasses and reduce uh, the vigor of the grasses. So if you can get yellow rattle into your meadow, then that will help reduce the, the strength and vigor of the grass, which will give the, all of the wildflower species a better chance to grow. If you're wanting to try and encourage pollinators in your own garden and you don't have enough space for a meadow, there's lots of advice online about different species that you can choose. 
They don't have to be native species. So there are lots of non-native flowering plants that are really good for pollinators, things like salvias. The general advice really would be, first of all, to make sure that you've got lots of flowering plants throughout the season. So hopefully you've got something flowering from about March through to November. And that will provide a food source for pollinators throughout the year, which is really important. And then the other thing that you can do is leave areas of the garden where pollinators and other species can build a home, can hibernate over winter. So things like log piles and compost bins and even just leaving an area of long grass. And if you can leave those areas long over the winter, then it will also provide somewhere where those species can hibernate over winter as well. And if you've got space, put in a pond. Putting in a pond is one of the best things you can do for wildlife. As soon as you put in a pond, all of a sudden all these creatures come from out of nowhere. It'll be dragonflies and pond skaters uh, in next to no time. So lots of invertebrates, uh, you know, amphibians, frogs and newts, and then also mammals coming to drink the water and birds coming and using it. So yeah, ponds are one of the best things you can do. But if you haven't got space for that, then the second best is a meadow. Things are pretty bad for wildlife across the world, really. You know, Bath and North East Somerset has declared an ecological emergency uh, in the same way that it's declared a climate emergency. We've seen a loss of 97% of our species-rich grassland. We've seen massive declines in, in, in species in bumblebees and invertebrates. People talk about how they used to go for a drive in the country 20, 30 years ago and they'd be wiping bugs off their off their car bonnet and, and, and now that sort of thing doesn't happen anymore. So there's all sorts of evidence out there that, that things are not looking good. And I think it's our responsibility really to, to turn that round. And actually, if we do that, it won't just be good for wildlife, it'll be good for us. A garden without bees and, and bugs and birds flying around just isn't the same. It isn't the same experience. You might have lots of pretty flowers, but you haven't got the sounds, you haven't got the motion, you haven't got you know the excitement of seeing blue tit chicks fledging from uh, you know from a bird box so having wildlife around us is good for us it, it, it enriches our lives and there's all sorts of evidence that says that it's good for mental health and I think we all learned that a bit during lockdown when we could all hear birdsong again and how much happier that made us feel and I think we're also learning starting to learn a lot more about how complex the world is and how important biodiversity is in you know making sure that our soils work effectively making sure that our soil is fertile and that our soils retain moisture and i think there's all sorts of aspects of our life on this planet where biodiversity is playing a main role that we just don't understand yet so i think i think it's in all of our interests to do our bit Do I have a favourite meadow in Bath? I think my favourite meadow actually is Inox Park, which is a small park in Twerton. We created a meadow in, we started work on it about six years ago. We worked with Bathscape volunteers. We sowed lots of yellow rattle and lots of wildflower seed and we planted lots of trees. But actually creating the meadows has just completely changed the feel of the park. So we've gone from a hillside that was boring green short grass 
that's now colourful and flower-rich and all sorts of wildlife living in there. Great big spiders, butterflies, bees. And actually, you can see how it just gets better year on year. And hopefully in about 500 years' time, it's, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be, you know, as good as any of the sites of special scientific interest in the UK. next steps for our our meadows project so we have um, our let's get buzzing project and people might have seen the signs uh, dotted around and the next step really is to yeah is to try and improve those spaces and we recognize that we can't do it on our own so we have launched a scheme called a neighborhood nature area where members of the public can adopt an area they can adopt a verge outside their house or a small area of a park and they can plant it up they can plant it with wildflowers or they can plant it with with other flowers to brighten the area up and then also yeah to try and diversify some of those other areas that we've got in our parks and open spaces plant more flowers put in more ponds put in more log piles more shrubs and hopefully diversify the landscape attract wildlife uh, and make more people smile. And here's Dan on his bike. Hello, Dan. Hello, Tommy. Nice How to you? see you, yes. Yeah, yes. Oh, it's quite a nice day, isn't it? Yeah. A bit cloudier than usual, but yeah, it was a good seed collecting day. Right, so, Dan, where are we going next? Um, well, we're going to go up to see the volunteers of the Smallcombe Vale, which is over the hill from where you were this morning, Pommy, so you might have seen the field. But they should be collecting seed for us, harvesting seed so we can make new meadows and new areas this autumn. It's harvest time of year, isn't it? August. Yeah, yeah, it's been a good August. It's been a good year for dry weather to be able to get seed collection in, so hopefully they'll be hard at work when we get there. We're coming off the road now into Smallcombe Vale. A beautiful piece of land run by the National Trust. Gorgeous views. Looking over Bath, you can see Bath Abbey. Damn, what are we looking at? Looks like some haymaking going on. Is that what's happening? Sort of, that's a brush harvester being dragged behind that little vehicle up there basically going across the top of the field here and knocking off all the seed into a hopper that's being dragged in the brush harvester and the volunteers will be kind of pulling out all the bits of stem and stalk to leave just as much seed as they can in there to collect seed for us. So we're not haymaking, we're seed collecting. That's right, they'll take a hay cut off this field after they've done the seed collection but this is one of the better fields um, nice and, and wildflower rich, particularly rich in yellow rattle, which is a great plant for us to use to make new meadows with. Um, so yeah, they're, before they're taking the hay cut, they're collecting seed for us. This is the National Trust, volunteers working with the Wildlife Trust. Fabulous. Well, how exciting. I don't think I've ever seen that happen before, ever. There's always something new, always something new in the bathscape. Well, that was a good sound, Izzy. What is going on here? Okay, so now the seed harvester has collected all of the yellow rattle seed heads and the grass heads and the knapweed and everything else that's been growing in Smallcombe Vale. We are now sifting through with our 
very advanced uh, method here, getting rid of the old tusks and anything that we don't actually need when we sow the seeds in the future. And in there will be lots of yellow rattle, as well as grass seeds, which are needed to sort of help germinate the yellow rattle and kickstart the growth when they're seeded. And that's what's important, you know, we're trying to get as much yellow rattle seed as we can from here, but also the grass seeds are just as important. The amount of seed that we do collect, we can spread it so far throughout Bath. I mean, it's, it only takes a day or two. Yesterday we were down here, yesterday in the other field. You know, we've already covered nearly half of the field just today. And you, you get so much from it because it's, it's, it's an effective method. The brush collects everything and then nothing goes to waste, basically. And this is a stunning viewpoint, isn't it? Looking right over the city of Bath. How fantastic is it for you to come and work up here? Well, I haven't I haven't been working for the Trust that long. It's probably been about three months now. And I remember Joe brought me here one of my first days when the meadow was just, just starting to flower and you walk through and you look over it now and it looks sort of dry and crispy but you just need to take a few steps into the actual vegetation and look about on your feet. And there are so many colours. The grass is still green underneath and it's full of life. We've got dragonflies darting about, crickets everywhere. It's great. It's one of our best wildflower meadows that we've got. Obviously, most of the bits that you're looking at now have gone to seed, but what we've got in here is obviously lots of yellow rattle, which is brilliant because that lowers the swad height of the meadow and that gives everything else a chance to grow. Is that this little plant here? Is that the yellow rattle? This this here is yellow rattle. So that's why it's called yellow rattle. That's brilliant, isn't it? When it's in, in full bloom, it's a bright yellow and you can just see these, these patches that are growing in this meadow because we seeded yellow rattle here a couple of years ago and now it's just done exactly what we wanted it to and it's enabled everything else to grow, like uh, we've got black knapweed here, which is a gorgeous purple colour and that actually flowers a little bit later than most of the other flowers in here which gives all of our pollinators in the area a second wind sort of thing you they come and they're still here buzzing around even though you look at the meadow it still looks quite dry and past it but it's it's not at all we've got birds foot trefoil here is that this yellow down at your feet yeah that's it in flower bright yellow flowers three little petals hence the trefoil birds foot means once it once it's gone to seed it has a four or three pronged seed head and it looks just like a bird's foot basically um so it's not necessarily original but it's it's full of character (laughs) the common sort of uh, name for this is eggs and bacon because sometimes it can have a very red reddy stripes across it the grasses we've got here cock's foot which is common but needed uh yorkshire fog in places which when it's doing its its Yorkshire fog thing is very purple and hazy um, and looks like the Yorkshire Dales when they're foggy. <laughs> a little bit of meadow vetch, um, meadow buttercup. I just saw some butterflies. Yes, there's loads of butterflies around here. I've got meadow browns that just love this. We do get a few tortoiseshell butterflies, speckled woods come in from the woodland. We've got a cabbage white flying across there, common blues, they all love it here. You can probably just see that really large dragonfly flying over 
just over there and they are huge and if you chuck up a bit of stone or a heavy piece of plant they will dart over because they think it's a bug that they can catch look there's just one flying around there and they're they're just massive oh it is it looks like a helicopter it's so big yeah they are really really chunky insects you see how did you become a national trust ranger so I have just finished uni. I'm, I'm only 22. So just before I finished my degree, I was still working hard. I applied for the assistant ranger job and I was in Cuba on a field trip, on my last field trip with uni. And I did my interview out in Cuba over the phone. Very expensive phone call, but I think it was worth it. And, um, and here I am. What degree did you do? I did wildlife ecology and conservation science at UE Bristol. Well done, congratulations. When do you hear? I got my results last week, or the week before. I got a 2-1 and I got a first in my dissertation. Um, I did really well and I graduate on Friday. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> congratulations, that's fantastic. Thank well you. done. Thank you. So look at all this seed you've just harvested. I never expected to see that much and it's actually hopping with wildlife, isn't it? What's in there? There is all sorts in there. We we try and get them out before we put them in the bag, but sometimes that that doesn't happen because they're very well camouflaged. So we've got crickets, we've got grasshoppers, we've got shield bugs, maybe a few spiders. Everything will be in there. And this isn't the end for them because when we get back to the yard, we spread out the seed on a a raised platform on, on tarp and we just rake it every day for a couple of days just to keep it dry and turn it over so there's no moisture build up and that gives a chance for everything that's still in there to hop off and and do its thing but what i also say is it's good bird feed so you've you've got to think of the positives if you it's part of the web it's, of life it's the isn't web it of life it's the circle of life yeah in about two months time hopefully come kind of september possibly into october time this seed probably some members of this same group might be involved in using this seed then to create new meadows around in, in kind of parks and green spaces around the city as well so it's trying to get those places to look more like this this field and you mentioned that seed like this have been collected and and used in Inix park which paul was talking about yeah Inix is one area we did a couple of seeding sessions there oh gosh three years ago i think and that's been really successful if you go in the summer it's full of full of yellow rattle a lot more wildflowers appearing in there a lot more insects on that it used to just be a kind of close mown you know typical park and the parks department wanted to diversify it and because of the seed harvest and the volunteers and we've been able to help them make that happen so here we are here we are in the vehicle oh we're off we're off come on then so as we're driving along the seed harvester will rotate and knock all of the seeds off the heads of the plants and they will then collect in the big drum that we're dragging behind us and it's important to go as slow as you can so you're not missing any plants. Just see, there's just butterflies everywhere. It's lovely. The next round of seeds is going to be dropped onto a tarpaulin. There 
there it is, over. We've just taken the cover off and there's all the grass inside. And I think a lever, you're going to pull a lever. Oh, look, here we go, tipping it out. It's loads and loads of it. Covers back on and off it goes. leaving another load of seed to be sifted by the volunteers. Can you tell the difference between the seeds, is it? Uh, so the ye yellow rattle, which is what we're looking for mostly, is very flat, um, brown, sort of circular. But they, they look like little eyes or sort of little, um, almost like pomegranate seeds or something that's very, very flat. It's, they, they're a bit larger than a lot of the meadow seeds that we've got in here, like knapweed. Um, it's very small, black. There's a, there's a large difference in, in them and you can tell the difference quite clearly. It's such a, an array of different colours, isn't it? Yeah. What are you doing here? I'm picking out the um, cowslip seed heads and then collecting them and then tipping them into a paper envelope so that the seeds are separated from everything else and then they're going to be grown on by Bar City Farm apparently. Wow, brilliant. So this is really collecting one particular yeah. species by hand. It's very labour-intensive, isn't yeah, it? Oh, look, there they are, falling out right. into the brown paper bag. So it keeps them... They're quite little, aren't they, the seeds? I've just tipped one upside down into my hand. Yeah, they are. It's they're, quite little. Yeah, they're tiny, especially compared with the, the yellow rattle that we were collecting over there, all mass. It's just lovely to think that every single one of those seeds could produce a separate plant. I mean, obviously, they won't all germinate, but it is really, there's something really pleasing about collecting the seed from nature like this and then knowing that it's going to go on and spread further out across Bath, something to benefit the whole environment, but also the people of Bath too. So when people are wandering around and they see these flowers in years to come, because, of course, it's not just for one year, they'll propagate again and again each year after that. It is lovely to be part of that. And everybody loves cowslips, don't they? Absolutely. We've collected the seed here at Smolcombe Vale and we're walking down through another hayfield towards the city centre with, the, with Bath Abbey there in front of us. What a beautiful view. It's great, isn't it? It's really nice to feel as though these fields here are helping to create other fields of wildflowers in the view that we're looking at elsewhere. Yes, yeah, so all that seed is going to be spread amongst the open spaces of Bath. That's right. So each year we find people who want to diversify fields they've got and we're able to give them seed to do that and, uh, yeah, make more meadows. So it just builds up this the habitat, basically a kind of mosaic habitat, as they say. A mosaic habitat. And uh, yellow rattle is yellow gold. It is. That's the key to it all. If you can get the yellow rattle established because it 
kind of parasitizes the grasses that opens the space up for the other wildflowers to come in, then that's your first step to getting a meadow. So it's great, there's so much yellow rattle this year, it's been a really good year for yellow rattle, and they've collected so much. We should be quids in. We're back in the city centre now. That was a beautiful walk down through Smolcombe Vale. And then along the beautiful canal. I love the canal in Bath and I don't often get to walk along it. We walked along the canal, back through the city centre, and here we are, back at the park and ride. Well, that's it for this episode of Footprints. Thank you for joining me. And don't forget, you can listen to all the previous episodes anytime you like. Footprints is available on all your favourite podcast platforms. So please, please do like, subscribe and of course share with your friends, family and colleagues. Don't forget Bathscape's wonderful walking festival running this year from the 10th to the 25th of September. The programme is out now, so do have a look and sign up for walks. And you can find out more about the festival and about Bathscape by visiting the website bathscape.co.uk. Footprints was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. I'm off on my holes now, but I'll see you in September.